What a great group, amen. Good morning, GT family. So good to have you worshiping with us here in our 930 service. If you're joining us in person, if you're joining us online, uh, we are honored to have you with uh, us. If you're new, my name's Tim, one of the pastors here at Glad Tidings, and we, uh, we just love what the Lord is doing in our midst, and we are excited about great days ahead. I want to remind you... Um, just your continued giving and support. We thank you so much. We ended up finish off, finishing off the year in an incredible way. Uh, we'll have some reports coming out about that in the next uh, couple months about the uh, 2022 uh, reports and things that we were involved with and how God moved through the generosity of our church. Uh, but I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being such an incredible, generous people here at GT. Your partnership financially helps us partner with missionaries globally as well as locally, and also just do ministry that we do uh, in so many different ways here at Glad Tidings. So many incredible programs for kids, uh, for youth. Uh, just a little update right now, our, our kids' uh, wing renovation is uh, starting this week. And uh, so if you had some kids that were dropping off and they were in a new area, uh, thank you for your continued grace and patience. We're trying to rework things as the construction will be beginning. Uh, Right now on Sundays, we are averaging between 160 to 180 kids on a Sunday. That's... (laughs) That's bigger than the average church in Canada, by the way. And that's just kids. Uh, our youth ministry on Thursday nights is averaging well over 100 uh, students every single Thursday night. So the Lord is working. Yeah, let's give a clap offering for that. The Lord is working uh, amongst the next generation. We, hey, we are so privileged and honored. Pastor Cheryl and Pastor Tish just walked into the house today. Hey, we were just talking about you guys. Were your ears burning? All right, we'll let you go. That was not planned. We just went off script there. So. <laughs> Pastor Tish has her hard helmet on. She's the foreman of the whole job, and she's keeping things in line. Well, today is a great day. It's a great day because we get to be in the house of God together. It's also a great day because the Indiana Hoosiers beat Purdue yesterday. <laughs> and for five of you that understand what I'm talking about... I am a diehard Indiana Hoosiers basketball fan. I pastored in Indiana for 21 years. Purdue is not only the number one team in the nation, but they're also our our greatest in-state rivalry. We have had a rivalry for decades. If anybody remembers the video of Bobby Knight throwing the chair across the floor, anybody ever seen that video? That was against Purdue. And Purdue has dominated us for many, many years. And yesterday we pulled off the victory and we beat Purdue. So for all my Indiana fans, because many of them tune in here online, watch from a distance. And some of my friends from uh, Babylon, also known as West Lafayette. um, I know you guys love to say boiler up, but I'm saying this morning, boiler down. Hoosiers are victorious. And all, all God's people said... All right, all right. It's a good day. Awesome. Well, this morning we are starting a brand new series on the life of Joseph, and the series is going to be called "Meant for Good," and it takes place in chapters uh, thirty-seven through fifty of the book of Genesis. And we're really just going to journey together over the next five weeks, really looking at God's redemptive heart and purpose through every stage and life situation that Joseph is facing. And how God in his goodness, God in his grace, God in his 
providence was moving in and through the life of Joseph, even when everything seemed to be out of control in his life and situation. But the good news about preaching from the Old Testament and the beauty of preaching from the Old Testament is every time we learn something about one of the great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, when we get to the New Testament, what we see is actually Jesus is a better fulfillment of Joseph. That even though Joseph in many ways was a type of savior, a type of redeemer for his people, and God worked miraculously through his life, uh, Jesus is a better savior. Jesus is a better redeemer. Jesus is one who comes and he uh, leaves everything he knows and comes into this broken world. And he's rejected by many in this world, but God through his grace works through the life of Jesus to bring salvation and redemption for all of humanity. That's essentially the sermon today. We can all go home. Bless you. I'm just kidding. All right, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 37. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to read 11 verses here. And the word of the Lord says this, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even the more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to the brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. This is the word of the Lord. We may be seated here today. American poet and essayist Mary Carr once said, a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. Can I get a witness in this place here today? <laughs> How many people, if you were to be honest, would say that you come from a family that has a little bit of dysfunctionalism in it? How many people would say, if you look back through the history of my family, there are some skeletons in our closet that we want to remain there and never to come out. The truth is that anywhere there is a family where there is more than one person in it, 
dysfunction is bound to exist. My father was a minister of God's word for over 40 plus years, but his two brothers, his older brothers, were both alcoholics, both druggies, both involved in biker gangs, and got into a lot of trouble when they were younger. This lasted well into their 20s, but then the Lord did an incredible work in their life and saved them radically and set them free, and they were sober for 20 25, 26 years before they ended up passing away. But when you saw my Uncle Steve, he still looked like the Hell's Angel Harley Rider. And so I remember one summer, I, I brought uh, a girl who was a friend, but I was a little bit more interested in her being just a friend. But I was kind of stuck in the friend zone. Anybody ever been there before, right? I brought this girl to our cottage at Lakeshore Pentecostal Camp, and I was going to introduce her to my mom and dad, and it just so happened that my Uncle Steve, that had a ZZ Top beard down to his belly button, and he had all his Harley gear on, happened to be at the cottage. And this girl was a shy, kind of quiet type of personality, and I, I walked up the cottage deck, and we walked into the door, and there was my Uncle Steve, and he said, hey, I'm Tim's uncle. I just got out of prison. What's your name? Now, now, he was lying. He didn't just get out of prison. Well, years before he had, but at that point he had it. My, my, my uncle loved to humiliate me and embarrass me. And I, to this day, I can still remember the thought of my, of my mind and my facial expression in that moment. Like, Uncle Steve, please just put on your best behavior in this moment. You are humiliating me. Now, over the next several weeks, as we look at the story of Joseph, what we're going to see is that Joseph and his family, they, they got a lot of problems. They got a lot of stuff in their past. They got a lot of dysfunction in their story, and yet God in his goodness still chooses to use them. In fact, a little bit of a historical background on Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jacob in the latter years of Jacob's life, and he was a son through Rachel. Jacob, which actually means deceiver. In fact, if you read the Genesis account from 1 all the way through 50, what you see is that humanity is absolutely broken and jacked up over and over again. Jacob, which means deceiver, was the son of Isaac, who showed much favoritism to Jacob's brother, that being Esau. Jacob lived a life of deceitfulness in many ways, but would also himself be deceived by Laban, the father of his would-be wives. Great animosity and competition grew between Jacob's wives, Leah and Rachel, as they fought for his affection and his attention. Leah gave her handmaidens to Jacob to essentially bear children with Unfortunately, dysfunction eroded Jacob's family for many years, and yet Jacob never seemed to address it and operated very much in a passive way as a parent. And because of his passive parenting, which is actually an oxymoron, by the way, because of his passive parenting and his lack of engagement, it led to generational dysfunction even in his own children. In Genesis 34, we actually read about the rape of his daughter and then the vengeance of her brothers on the Hivites. In Genesis 35, Jacob's son Reuben sleeps with one of his father's concubines, who is essentially a mother to his half-brothers. The great Old Testament scholar from Wheaton College, John Walton, said this, God, all throughout the book of Genesis, is determined to fulfill the covenant blessings despite the character flaws of his chosen family and despite the obstacles that occur along the way. 
he is even able to bring good, he is even able, sorry, to bring good out of evil. And so as we begin this series on the life of Joseph, what we're going to see over and over again is that humanity in their brokenness continually chooses their patterns and their ways and their dysfunction and their desires of the flesh against the will of God and the purposes of God. And as we talk about so many times, when we make those decisions over and over again, it doesn't just affect us, but it often affects the generations to come and the people around us. But in spite of all that, we worship a God who is determined to fulfill his covenant despite the flaws of his people. And beloved, that is in fact great news for every single one of us with a little bit of dysfunction from our own family upbringings here today. So as we start this series, the author of Genesis wants the reader to understand this redemptive truth. God works in us and through us, often in spite of us. Can I hear an amen this morning? God works in us and through us, often in spite of us. God worked through Abraham in spite of Abraham. God worked through Isaac in spite of Isaac. God works through Jacob and through Joseph in spite of their flaws because our God is a committed God who wants to fulfill his covenant promises to his people. And really, that is why the gospel is God's gospel. The gospel began long before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. The gospel, the redemptive heart of God is on display all throughout the Old Testament stories that God works in us and through us in spite of us. No matter our past or how many times we've fallen or what type of family situation we may come from or what type of skeletons are in our family's secrets, God desires to work in and through the most unlikely candidates to bring about his redemptive purposes for his people. And this is a consistent theme all throughout the Old Testament scripture is that the one that the world would choose, God doesn't choose those people. He chooses a different type of people. When the, when the world and society and especially the culture of the ancient Near East would always go with the older son and the stronger son and the bigger, brighter son, God comes and says, I want to go with the runt of the litter. And that's how I'm going to work my purposes and plan to bring about healing and redemption to the nations. Now, another thing that we're going to see all throughout this text over the next five weeks is that Joseph is incredibly favored by his father, but he's also very gifted, and he's very much blessed by God. But the truth is is that many times our blessings can also be the thing that lead to our greatest challenges. And so when God gives us his gifts or he graces our lives with his blessings, they are from him because every good and perfect gift always comes from God. But when God gives us his gifts, they come with great responsibility in regards to how we steward his blessings or how we steward the talents that he has blessed us with. And many times what happens, once again, is our our greatest blessings, if they are not stewarded well, can lead to our greatest challenges and sometimes our greatest 
curses. And maybe you've experienced this in your own life before. Well, you know God has given you a gift. God has blessed you in a tremendous way. You have a talent. But if you do not use it for his glory and his glory alone, that gift will be the very thing that ends up destroying your life. And so our greatest blessings often become our greatest challenges. And so we see this in the life of Joseph here, even in the first couple chapters about his story, we see these defining characteristics that really signify this example of great blessings leading to great challenges. Number one, we see this, that he was favored by his father, but he was also a self-righteous person. As we just read a moment ago, it says that Joseph went around telling on his brothers and getting them in trouble because he had a self-righteous attitude. How many people had a sibling that was a tattletale growing up? How many of you were that sibling? <laughs> right? Confession is good for the soul. Right? Every one of us had a sibling or we were that sibling that, that that person was a tattletale and they loved to just broadcast all our stuff and all our mistakes and always let mom and dad know about what we were doing wrong. I, I have some great friends in the areas that they grew up. They had a saying and it went like this, snitches get stitches. Anybody ever heard that saying before? Yeah, my friends, I'd never heard that before. And they said, yeah, and in our area, stitches get stitches. We, we don't tattletale on one another. See, tattletales eventually turn into meddlers and gossips. But gossiping is actually always rooted in the sin of self-righteousness. And so Joseph, he is favored by his father. And we must understand to be favored by his father is a good thing. It's a good thing for a father to show love and affection for a child. In fact, every single one of us in this room here this morning, we have a heavenly father that greatly favors us as his children. In fact, one of the great mysteries of the kingdom of heaven is that every one of us in this room are God's favorite one. Think about that for a moment. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't know about you, but I'm God's favorite one. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know about you, but I'm God's favorite one. No, go ahead. Just, just say it, right? Every single one of us are greatly favored by our heavenly Father, and, and this is good, and this is good that even in the Old Testament, we see this at place in the life of Joseph. But because he didn't steward his favor or his blessings well, it led to a self-righteous attitude where he began to think that he was so much better than his brothers. You see, every blessing that comes from God is not about us, but it's always about what God desires to do through us. And so many times when we experience God's goodness, and we experience God's favor, or we experience his blessing, we have this tendency to allow self-righteousness to rise in our heart, and we start to give ourselves some little pats on the back. I don't know about you, but I'm blessed. <laughs> and I'm highly favored. And I'm chosen. And all those things are absolutely true, but if we don't steward that well to understand it ain't about me, but it's what God wants to do through me 
it leads to a self-righteous attitude. And this is what we see in the life of Joseph. Question I want to ask here this morning, how do we counteract a self-righteous spirit? Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, I love this line, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, God has blessed Joseph, and he has shown his favor through Jacob on his life, and God has given him a great gift that we'll talk about here in a moment. But Joseph makes the mistake to think it's about him, not about I blessed you so that you can make others more important than your own life. I bless you so that you can look to the interests of others and it doesn't just have to do with them bowing down before you. There's a greater purpose than the fulfillment of them bowing down and it's how I'm going to use you to help them, to nourish them, to provide for them. How do we counteract self-righteousness? We consider or we look not only to our own interests, but we always use our blessings and giftings for the interests of others. I want to be clear about this. It is not a sin to be blessed. It is a sin in what you do with the blessing and goodness of God if you don't use it for his purposes. That's where the sin comes in. Does that make sense? C.S. Lewis said this. He said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. What a powerful statement. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. If you're always looking down on people, like you're up here and they're down there, then you can't see what is above you. You cannot know God. Secondly, we see this. Joseph was gifted by God, but he was lazy. He was extremely gifted, but he was also very lazy. It's interesting that there's been a lot of study done on this. When people have to work hard for certain things and things don't come easy, it usually cultivates in them a great work ethic because they know if I don't put in the work and time, it's going to be a struggle for me to accomplish anything. But many times for those that things come easy or they're very gifted, Often, not always, but often, there is a lack of work ethic in their life because things always come easy. Paul said in Romans 11, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You see, the Bible says that the coat that was given to Joseph by his father was a richly ornamented robe. In fact, the Hebrew word, pasim, is used to describe it, which means to the wrist and to the ankles. Meaning that the robe was not a working person's outfit. Joseph, he wasn't just white collar, he was just lazy. Joseph wasn't, wasn't white collar, he was entitled. It was not a working person's outfit. Joseph, Jacob was basically saying that Joseph would not have to work like all his other brothers by giving him this coat. And Joseph, he wore this coat proudly and he even flaunted it in the presence of his brothers. See, Joseph also had a unique gift of receiving dreams with prophetic fulfillment in them. And once again, we see the self-righteous attitude of Joseph in flaunting his dreams to his brothers. 
You see, Joseph, like so many young and immature people, didn't realize that his giftings were not for his own glory and fame, but rather they were for the greater purpose of God receiving glory and redeeming and saving his people. Not everything that God revealed to Joseph was meant to be shared to his brothers. So Joseph has this gift that he is what's called a seer. He is a prophetic type of person. God gives him visions and dreams about things that will happen in the future. And I believe that Jacob, he actually recognizes that gift on his son's life. And so Jacob says, I want to I wanna steward that well, and I want to guard that well. And so I recognize there is a uniqueness and difference to Joseph, my son. And so I want to protect him. And so he essentially gives him this coat that represents that he is not meant to do the work like his brothers. Now, as a father, uh, Jacob has a great responsibility to steward the gifts in his children well. In fact, every single parent in here this morning, we have a great responsibility to steward the giftings in our children's lives well. And every child is unique. Every child is different. I remember when we had Bella, and I thought we had that figured out of what it was like to raise a kid. I was ready to write a book (laughs) because I was an expert. But then Eva came along. And I realized, you are nothing like Bella. And everything that worked for Bella doesn't necessarily work for you. I remember coaching for 15 years. There were some kids that I could just really lay into vocally and I could get their attention that way. And they would get mad and they would get angry, but they would go out and do what I asked them to do. Then there were other kids. If I even looked at them, they shut down. And I remember the challenge of having to navigate how every single person that I'm coaching is different and I have to motivate them differently. We see this in the life of Jacob. He recognizes the gift on Joseph's life and he wants to steward that well. However, what does Joseph do? Hey guys, look at my coat. Doesn't it suck to be you guys and isn't it awesome to be me? Look at that. I don't have to work like you got. How's the shoveling going over there? How, what's it like digging that ditch? I wouldn't know because I'm a dreamer. I'm a prophetic type. I'm gifted. And once again, he's flaunting his gifting in the presence of his brothers. I remember I had a leader in our prophetic team several years ago, our prayer team, who used to often say, that the Lord is constantly showing her visions and dreams and giving her words and just incredible things. She said, but Pastor Tim, I probably share about 10% of what I actually hear or what I actually see. She says, when it comes to about 90% of what I see and what I hear in the spirit, I cherish it, I guard it, I hold on to it, I pray into it, I intercede on behalf of it. She understood that that not everything that God shared with her was to be told by others. Did God show Joseph a dream about the future? Yes. Was that dream eventually fulfilled? Anyone who's read the story knows yes. 
But Joseph, in a self-righteous, pious attitude, he goes out and he begins to flaunt that dream to his brothers. I want to say this. Your giftedness as a son or daughter of God does not automatically qualify you to be used by God. Every single person in this room, you have gifts, you have talents. God has graced your life with certain things. That is beautiful. You want to steward those giftings well. But just because you are gifted doesn't mean you are qualified to be used by God. In fact, I would say this, a gifting should always be developed in private long before it goes public. You think about David on the backside of the wilderness, shepherding the the sheep, and one day he will shepherd the nation of Israel. Guarding the sheep from from the lion and the bear in private with no one around, and when the The giant comes along, he says, who is this filthy Philistine who blasphemes the name of Yahweh? Bring him on. Oh, I love the spirit of David. I've gotten some victories in my private time before that no one knows about, and that is the launching pad for my public ministry. And so I think it's so important that when it comes to our giftings, how are we stewarding them and, and, and nourishing them in this moment in private when no one else sees so that at the right opportunity when God says, I'm ready to go public with, it doesn't lead to ego. It doesn't lead to a self-righteous, pious attitude in your life. You know, many, many people, they, they look at me and they think, well, you get to preach in front of an amazing congregation. That must be just such a privilege and honor. You're right, it is such a privilege and honor to stand before people week after week, week and preach God's word. But people don't realize my first sermon, I was preaching to a group of seven high schoolers who wouldn't shut up the whole time. <laughs> and I was convinced I only knew one way to do ministry, and that was to preach and preach like a Pentecostal preacher. I should have been playing games. I should have been having more conversation with them, but I said, you know what? I'm a preacher of God's word. I'm going to stand up. Seven people. I even had a microphone. We didn't need the microphone. They all could hear me, but I had that microphone, and I was preaching the roof off to seven people for many, many years, preaching to small groups of people, being faithful in the small, stewarding that gift well. Learning what it is to, to take the blessings of God and use it even for the most seven dysfunctional teenagers in our church. And they were dysfunctional. And when we do that, God has a way, I believe, of just opening up new doors, new opportunities, new realms of blessing. And remember that it's not about you at any level or any place but rather it's always about what God wants to do through you. Question, how do we counteract laziness? Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. If you have one person that you are pouring into, do that well. Pastor, I feel called to ministry. Beautiful, yes and amen. Who are you discipling now? Well, I need a stage, and I need a platform, and I need a microphone, and I need a ministry. No, you don't. You need a friend. You need a neighbor. You need a coworker. You need a classmate. I feel the call of God in my life. Yes, and amen. I want to fan that into flame. But who are you discipling right now in your life? 
Who are you sharing your testimony with? Who are, you, who are you pouring your heart and soul into to help them come into a greater understanding of God's word? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. I believe we need a robust theology of work again. Because everyone talks about my dream job, my dream opportunity. Oh, if I just had a job full of purpose. And I'm not against that. But everything you do should be done not as to men, but as done for the glory and purposes of God. And so even if you are doing a newspaper route, you do it for the glory of God. And you look for opportunities to minister the kingdom come even in that newspaper route. You may not be in your dream job right now, but it's where God has you in this moment. How are you using it for his glory and his purposes? How are you seeing the kingdom come wherever you find yourself in this moment? Thirdly, we see this. He was destined to be used by God, but impatient with the process. Once again, God gave him these dreams that were accurate dreams. And Joseph, he, like so many of us, he got ahead of himself. I have a dream. I've been blessed by God. I see things in the spirit. I have a gift. And he goes and he begins to broadcast that dream before his brothers. He is destined to be used by God, but he is impatient with the process. And beloved, I think every single one of us in this room here this morning can identify with that very truth. That we become so impatient with God all the time. Well, pastor, I felt like I I got a word from God. Amen. In 1972, I had a prophetic word spoken over my life and I was given a promise that I'm believing to come true. Amen. And when things don't happen in the time frame that we hope and anticipate, we get frustrated, we get discouraged with God, and often we become impatient, just like Joseph. I had a dream. Hey, guys, one day you're going to bow to me, so get used to it now. (laughs) And he's getting ahead of himself with his gifting. How do we counteract impatience? The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 55, says this about God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are my, or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we must remember that God's ultimate desire, hear this from me this morning. God's ultimate desire for our lives is that we would eventually be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. God's ultimate purpose for my life is not standing before you preaching God's word. It's a part of my calling. It's a part of the ministry that I've been called into, but it's not my ultimate purpose. Whether I ever preach from a podium ever again, my ultimate purpose is that I would be more transformed into the image of Jesus. That I would become like Christ. And once again, the greatest challenge for us as human beings is to trust in his plan and believe that he is leading us in this journey. And when stuff does not happen uh, and it does not fit into our paradigm of how we think things should happen, the challenge then becomes to not quit and throw in the towel. 
His ultimate plan for your life has nothing to do really with your job, but it has everything to do with you being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. I love that old song, that old spiritual. Take the world, but give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Transform me more and more into the image of Jesus. And so once again, Joseph, he was impatient with the process. You see, many times we believe that our journey of transformation looks like this straight line. Here's us, and here's this pinnacle that we need to arrive at when it comes to the realm of success or fame or notoriety or once again, just transformation. And so we envision, okay, God, I'm gonna live for you. I'm gonna gonna commit my life and purpose to you. And you have a destiny, you have a plan. You have called me, you have set me apart. I believe this, I'm taking a hold of it, right? And we think it's a straight line, but in reality, it's not a straight line. It's a journey that is all over the stinking place, isn't it? And the journey from where we're at to the place of transformation never goes easy. Joseph got the dream in Genesis 37, and it ends up being fulfilled by the end of the book of Genesis. But that journey was not a straight, easy path, no matter what coat his daddy gave him. That journey was full of so many ups and downs and detours and getting off the narrow path and ending up way over here and then ending up way over here and then ending up way over here. And just when he thinks he's about to have a breakthrough, he has a setback. And even in that setback, we see how God works in the midst of every single situation and meets him right in the place where he is at. And this is the beauty of the sovereignty of God. If you envision the circle of God's sovereignty, no matter where we find ourselves in this journey, we see at every point, God meets us there. And I don't know about you, but that is my testimony. I remember being called into ministry and thinking, oh, I'm so excited about what this is going to look like. And I remember having dreams and visions about the future. And at that time, Burlington, Ontario was not on my radar at all. In fact, if I could be honest, coming back to Canada was not on my radar at all. And yet through the journey of ups and downs and detours and lefts and right and and just, oh, setback and, oh, I got off the path and, oh, no, I'm over here. And how did I end up way over here? You ever been in those moments where you're like, how did I get right here? When did that happen? Where am I right now? God, where are you? And in the midst of this place where you feel like I am so off the straight and narrow of what God's purpose and destiny is. I'm so far over here, God comes and says, guess what? Tap, tap, I'm here too. I'm right here with you. Because I promise not to leave you, nor forsake you, to be with you always. And many times in our journey of getting from the place where we're at to the place of transformation, we, we go all over the place. And sometimes it's just life and unexpected things happen. Sometimes it's even our own sin, our own decisions, and we get way over here to the left, and we're like, oh no, like the prodigal son, like I'm in the 
pig's pit. This place is a mess. How did I get here? But the beauty of the goodness and sovereignty and providence of God is God says, I'm still here. I ain't going nowhere. I'm with you right now. Let me help guide you and lead you back to my plan, back to my purposes, and get you back on the path that I have for you. Is this making sense to anyone here? And this is the beauty of God's sovereignty. No matter where we are, God's on this side of eternity, no matter where we are, I truly believe this. God says, he taps us, he says, I'm here. I'm right with you in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your betrayal, in the midst of every hardship that you go through. I am here with you. And if you will allow me, I will continually lead you back to the place that I have for you. And this is what we're going to see over the next five weeks in the life of Joseph. You see, later in Genesis 37, in this chapter, because of the jealousy and the hatred of his brothers, Joseph is actually betrayed by his brothers. He's beaten, he's abandoned. Essentially, he's actually left for dead, but then one of them gets the idea, let's not leave him for dead, but let's sell him into slavery And they actually sell him into a caravan passing by. And yet despite all his hardship, all his suffering, all his abandonment, it's actually the very thing that eventually led to God's plan to save and redeem Joseph's family. And ultimately the people of God. When we get to the end of the book of Genesis, it's about 70 of Joseph's family that go into Egypt. When God liberates them out of Egyptian 400 plus years later, it's close to one million Israelites that come out of there. 70 go in, almost a million come out. And so Joseph has this dream and he thinks, oh, I am so favored, I'm so blessed, I'm so loved by my father, God is good. But he never envisions this journey, this path, all over the place, where he literally goes from the pit to the palace. And in the process, it leads to his transformation by the end of the book of Genesis. Because the number one goal wasn't about his siblings bowing down to him. The number one goal is, Joseph, I've gifted you, but I want to shape and form you so that you might understand what my giftings are to be used for. And Joseph has a a journey, a lifetime journey to get to that understanding. You see, Joseph is actually what's called theologically an Old Testament type of Jesus. His life and story points toward the Messiah who would eventually come. I want you to hear me on this. You see, Jesus, who is the better redeemer, who is the better savior, was also rejected, just like Joseph was despised, and even abandoned by those closest to him. In fact, Jesus was eventually martyred because of the jealousy and hatred of the self-righteous older brothers, that being the Pharisees. Think of the story of the prodigal son. Everyone thinks it's about the rebellious son. It's really not about the rebellious son. It's about the self-righteous older brother. And Jesus tells that parable in response to the Pharisees who are upset over Jesus hanging around the sinners and eating with the sinners and fellowshipping with the sinners. 
And he tells those three parables and he ends up with the prodigal son story and he flips the script. He's not just saying, aren't we excited that those that were lost and bound by darkness and in sin have come home? He flips the script and says, but some of you, you've been in my father's house and you don't even know the heart of my father. You're the self-righteous older brothers who are jealous about how God is moving in the lives of those that are broken. See, once again, this is all part of God's perfect plan in bringing salvation and redemption not just to Joseph's family or the nation of Israel, but eventually to all who have put their faith in his saving work. So Jesus, he, he leaves the comfort of his home. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who is favored by his Father, who is loved by his Father. In fact, all of his ministry is done from the foundation of, I am loved by my Father. I am chosen by my Father. But Jesus, the reason he's so much better than Joseph is because he gets it from day one. It's not about him, even though it's really all about him. But it's how the Father wants to work his will and purpose through him to help bring healing to the nations of the earth so that anyone from any tribe, tongue, and language who put their faith in Jesus might be welcomed into the place of safety and protection and provision under the Father's house. I want us to stand to our feet. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, and I want to focus in on this text for a moment as we go to communion. As you came in this morning, you should have received some elements. If you don't have any, we have some at the corners and some out the doors here. The first Sunday of every month, we love to participate in the sacrament of communion, a timeless practice of the church that reminds us of the finished work of Jesus at the cross, of his body that was broken and his blood that was shed to make a way for us to be restored to right relationship within the king's house. And I love these words in Philippians. And Paul is speaking about Jesus. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, like he's, he's in the form of God, he's loved by God, he's favored by God, he is God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This morning, I don't know what your journey of faith has looked like. Maybe you're here and you would say, yeah, I'm so over on the right right now or I'm so over on the left or I'm just way off course. I believe the word of the Lord for you this morning, God is there with you. He will meet you right where you are at. And he wants to lead you and guide you. He will never force you. He will never force you. 
but he will continually tap you on the shoulder, right? You guys know what I'm talking about with the tap, those moments you're like, oh, you're actually in the midst of this, God? Oh, you actually wanna do something beautiful through this? You wanna bring beauty from these ashes? He will tap you on the shoulder and he will say, boo, I'm here. Don't forget it. And he wants to lead you back into that alignment of his purpose the place of bringing about transformation and he does this because Jesus came and he suffered and once again he was betrayed he was alienated he was murdered he was left for dead he did die and then he raised again and when he rose again he made a way by conquering death for every single one, not just the 70, not just the nation of Israel, but for every people from every tribe and language who put their trust in him to be welcomed home, to be brought into the house of God, the true king's palace. Many, many months ago, I I said this, and I think it's so fitting now. Jesus experienced the ultimate exile so that you and I can experience the ultimate homecoming. Joseph and his family and the people that came after them, the family were in exile in Egypt. But the heart of God is, I want to bring you home. I want to bring you back to the land that I have for you. The same way Jesus, he experienced the ultimate exile, not because of anything he did, but for the sake of others so that you and I can be welcomed home brought back into the place where we belong. So I want us to take out our elements here this morning. And on the night in which he was betrayed, he said to his disciples, he said, guys, this this bread is like my body, which is going to be broken for you. And this cup is like my blood, which is going to be shed for you. So every time that you eat it and every time that you drink it, remember the sacrifice that I have made on your behalf. Where Jesus used his eternal blessings, his eternal giftings, and he sacrificed them for the sake of his brothers and his sisters. Amen. Let us partake of the bread. Let us partake of the cup together. This morning, I want to invite the prayer team to come to the front. If you're here, we do this every Sunday. You want prayer for anything? We would love the opportunity just to pray with you. Maybe you've never made a conscious decision where you say, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. If you gotta go, we bless you. Go in the goodness and power and strength of his might. And once again, remember, every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father, but it ain't about you. It's always about what God wants to do through you, amen? Bless you, have an incredible week.